everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Six or Sense podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris and Jonathan here yet again. We, this is the night after the Sixers beat the Celtics in a close thriller. And we have a lot to talk about that game as well as other things, guys, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Let's Especially jump into... Hold, hold oh. up, Jonathan. Jonathan, before we go, we got to talk about. Hey, Chris, how's uh, how's that championship round going for you in fantasy uh, basketball? Yes, what? this is this is good that we need to bring this up. The fantasy basketball championships for our site between Chris and I championship right now. I think I'm up by 400 points, Chris. Or is that it? Yeah, yeah. It, we have a fantasy basketball league. This is the first <laughs> time hearing of it. It appears that way from the way you're playing. You is know, that real? <laughs> I don't remember drafting a team. All right, uh, look here. Here's the real. I've literally just had fewer games played for my players than your players. It's like a scheduling thing. Okay, but it's two weeks, so it's supposed to average out. I, but it hasn't. I've checked every day. It just doesn't average out. I've been screwed by the scheduling gods. I uh, I beat the best team in the league in the first round. That's the real pride of the season for me. That would be debatable, though. The best team in the league is the team that wins the championship. Matt. Uh, I don't know. Oh, gosh, I love I this. Know. I'm going to be brutal. I'm going to carry this through for every podcast if, if I do end up. No. Yeah, good, well. good. You know, Chris did this last year. All right. On that note, guys, let's get back to the real basketball now. Yeah, let's go to Sixers-Celtics last night. 103-101 win for the 76ers. Outside of Joel Embiid, it wasn't pretty, but Joel Embiid, 52 points, more than half the team's points. So why don't we just start right there? What do you guys think of the starters, Chris? Yeah, um, I'm going to start with the the most important player on the team. Uh, I thought Tobias was pretty bad in this game. Uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, he had that brief hot stretch after we called him out. He's kind of coming back down, though. Uh, He's got to be better. Like, in all seriousness, Tobias has been pretty rough lately. Um, PJ hit three huge threes down the stretch there. One of his more impactful offensive games this season. Uh, Made the Celtics pay for basically not guarding him as a method to put more pressure on Joel. Credit to Joel for making those passes, too. but yeah, I mean, obviously we have to we have to talk about Joel. 52, 13 rebounds, six assists, two blocks, only three turnovers, 80% from the field, 92% on 13 free throw attempts, 12 of 13. It's about as good as it gets. I mean, I don't think there's been a more impressive individual game this year, except maybe that game in Utah from Joel, and maybe like you could argue Dame Dame had a 71 point game. There are and a couple so, candidates, uh, but. Yeah, yeah. It's really like Joel, only a couple players have been reaching this level lately, and it's the three we're talking about for MVP. So Joel's in pretty rare air here as far as individual production. And he's doing it against a very good defensive team that has multiple players who have slowed Joel down in the past. So he, he deserves a ton of credit. And yeah, like you said, I mean, they, the rest of the team was pretty bad on balance, and they really only won because Joel was... Just like transcendent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look. Well, I think if I remember listening to ESPN today correctly, Joel's the uh, third player in the last like thirty year, third center in the past like thirty years, or no, the first center in the past thirty years to have multiple fifty point games in a single season. 
So that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, I can't remember if that's the exact stat, but the fact is is that it's been a long time since the center has had multiple 50-point games, and Joel did it on insane efficiency. And on top of that, like you said, only three turnovers. And the only other person that gave Joel any sort of help was James Harden. Kudos to James, by the way. Didn't have a single turnover, 10 assists, 20 points on 17 shots, pretty good efficiency from downtown, five rebounds. Like, kudos to James Harden. Like, James Harden definitely made this thing go. And you know what? He might have the only negative plus minus in the starting five, but he was not the worst player in the starting five. You talked about Tobias Harris. I'm going to talk about Tyrese Maxey here. You know, there are games that Tyrese disappears from, and this was one of them. And, like, kudos to, you know, Boston's, you know, defensive front court of Marcus Martin and uh, Derek White, probably the best defensive front court in the whole entire NBA. I, I don't think that's much up for debate in terms of a one-two punch defensively there. Um, so, it, you know, they, they chose to t- slow Tyrese down, and it worked. Four, four turnovers, which is rare for Tyrese. You know, it'd be shocking if he gets two turnovers in one game. He had four in this game, two of eight, only five points. Not not the best Tyrese Maxey night. Um, so, yeah, I, I think outside of, you know, Joel Embiid obviously scored more than half the points. James Harden was the only other starter that, and, you know, PJ had a great night. But, like, James Harden was the only other person that gave Joel any real support in that game. Yeah, so the starters really was only Embiid tonight. What do you think about the bench though, Chris? Um, yeah, the starters, it was just Embiid. That, that really applies to the bench, too. They scored 10 total points. Only two players on the bench actually scored. Jalen McDaniels had a pretty productive 15 minutes, hit two threes, scored eight points, one of his better offensive games as a sixer. Uh, Paul Reed scored the other two points. And other than that, you had George... Niang going 0-3 from the field. He had Melton going 0-4. Neither of those guys put up a point. Neither of those guys contributed much elsewhere either. Only 19 minutes for Melt, uh, 15 for Niang, and 10 for Paul Reed. Daniel House made a 50-second cameo, didn't do anything there. It was minus 4 in 50 seconds. Uh, but yeah, not much from the bench in this game, Jonathan. Again, you know, going back to the game as a whole, Philly barely pulled this one out. They almost blew it late. Every time Joel sat, Boston went on a massive run and, and took control of the game, and Joel had to claw them back into it. So a lot of pretty severe negatives to take away from this game, honestly. If you if you look past Joel, Sixers clearly have a lot of holes that they have not plugged up entirely. Boston is a very good team. And frankly, had Joel had like a marginally less impressive game, they would have lost. So... The supporting cast has to step up. Yeah, I mean, they went four for 15, the bench, and three people played more than 15 minutes. It was pretty poor. And I guess to transition off of that, Doc Rivers even said that in his post game. He said that the, like, he was like, Joel Embiid is the reason, like, this man scored more than half our points. Like, it was an ugly win. Um, and in that diatribe of his, he was essentially saying, and he did flat out say, that the MVP conversation is over. Which, after the game, the odds drastically changed. Embiid is now minus 750, and Jokic is plus 450, and Giannis is plus 450. Really, with Jokic sitting out and then Embiid just dominating the way that he did. I mean, Harden also said it in this first game. He said Embiid is the MVP, and I think everyone's kind of coming around to that. What are your thoughts? Is the MVP race over? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had, but I mean, as far as who's actually going to win, it's it's pretty much done. Like there's there's, you know, these kinds of moments late in the season tend to carry maybe a bigger weight than they should, but they carry a pretty big weight in voters' minds. We've talked about recency bias in many episodes in the past with respect to the MVP conversation. And this is the kind of game that can lock up MVP for a player. So, yeah, it certainly feels like Joel is the favorite right now. Now, that straw poll in which Jokic beat him in first place votes was a week ago. So I it, I don't know if it's like locked and sealed, signed and delivered, you know, but one has to imagine that Joel's the favorite. That's where a lot of the chatter on national TV is these days. A lot of people talking about how Embiid is their pick, arguing about why Embiid is their yeah. pick. So I, I definitely would have to say, if asked to like pick who is going to win right now, I would say it's probably Joel. Yeah, everyone except uh, Kendrick Perkins. But yeah, um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's pretty much a lock. And so we have this uh, uh, tweet put in the agenda, which is honestly crazy that this is that I did not know this. So. They said after last, last night's game, Joel Embiid passed LeBron James for fifth on all-time in career scoring average. So he has 27.2 points per game average in his career. And the four people ahead of him are Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, Kevin Durant, and Elgin Baylor. And he just passed LeBron. So he is number five. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think like the per minute numbers are even more impressive. Like jo- Joel is quite literally one of the best scorers we've ever seen. Period. Like that's that's the kind of player he is. So he again, we we give him credit pretty much every week on this podcast. He is the pride and joy of Philadelphia and of this Sixers team and this fan base. Um, you know, he it, nothing has been perfect ever, but. Uh, this team has been through quite a lot, and he has been kind of the the stabilizer in the middle of all of it. He, he has guided the Sixers through some pretty tough times, and he's just an amazing player. So he, he deserves a ton of credit each and every day, each and every week. And if the Sixers do hopefully, ideally reach the mountaintop one day, it's probably going to be because of him. So that that's the dream, and, and if anyone on this team is capable of really making that happen by sheer force of will, it's going to be Joel. Yeah, completely agree. All right, so here's a, uh, a good conversation topic that we like. I want to take the uh, first question first here, though. So it says, who has the be- who had the better MVP year? Again, this is assuming Joel's going to get it, so maybe we're being a bit presumptuous, but who had the better 76ers MVP year, Allen Iverson or Joel Embiid? And I think the way we're going to transition to like talking points is who like who do you think was more important specifically to their team? Um, I, I mean, just statistically, Joel clears Allen in like pretty much every category. Um, you know, Iverson had more steals per game and he had less than half of an assist more per game, but Joel scored more, did so more efficiently, and as Pesky as Iverson was on the defensive end as, as like a pickpocket and a guy who could bother guys at the point of attack. He's just nowhere near the defensive force that Joel is. Like Joel is the anchor of, of a top eight defense. It doesn't always feel like Philly is a top eight defense, but they are. And that's pretty much entirely because of Joel. So I I would have to say that Joel is probably the having the better, not even probably, he's definitely having the better season 
as far as importance to their team, obviously Iverson kind of dragged that team to the championship, and that that was not the most prolific supporting cast. Joel has a lot more help. He has James Harden, who is still a top 20-ish NBA player, and who is top 10 on a lot of MVP ladders. Like, we cannot understate how much Harden has helped and how much Harden has helped Embiid. He has made Embiid's life so much easier. And a lot of Embiid's, like, career best efficiency, you can probably tie to Harden. But, um, I, I mean, Joel's just having the better season. I Frankly, I think he's, like, the better player. And as amazing and historic as that Iverson season was, I, I don't want to discredit him in any way. It, it would be pretty illogical to argue anything other than, like, Embiid is, is the superior player here. Well, yeah, so... Okay, maybe, yeah, superior, but I'm going to take it as it's written. More important, I think it has to be Allen Iverson. I mean, that team, like, the starting lineup for that team was Snow, Matumbo, Lynch, AI, and Hill. Like, that is, like, I think it's between that and the um, LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers team of the worst NBA starting lineup in an NBA Finals. So, the fact that Allen Iverson was able to take that team to the NBA Finals, they beat the Nets, they beat the Bucks, who were like, I'm pretty sure relatively favored in that series, both mm-hmm. seven game series. Like, Allen Iverson was putting that team on his back. And then, if you transition to Joel Embiid, I mean, he obviously, yeah, maybe he's the more superior player. But the fact that he can't even get his team to an Eastern Conference Finals, like, I hope that he can, he's able to do it this year. It's obviously not all a one man show, but like, that's kind of what AI proved when he was here during that MVP season. He willed those teams to victories and past great teams. So Embiid, if he wants to kind of be in that conversation, yeah. I think of more important, I think that he probably needs to get this team to the Eastern Conference. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, then, I think that's fair. But I mean, the MVP is like a regular season award. So obviously Joel hasn't like played the postseason this year yet. We we don't really know the where the story ends. We can speculate and you know, there's a pretty good chance that it doesn't end in the finals like AIs did. But, you know, it, as far as regular seasons go, again, Joel was just, like, better across the board. And and as great as AI was and as important as he was on the offensive end, what Joel does defensively does kind of make up some of that ground. Because AI was just not the anchor of that team on defense. He did have, like, you know, that supporting cast was not great, as you mentioned. But, like, Matumbo was not an, great. An elite. Elite rim protector, like he, he okay, did but have. And beats had and beats had Butler, uh, like Harden Simmons was not always this bad. Like and beats had players that, and they have not. Of course, yeah. There, there's there's no denying that. But I, I mean, we do talk again, even just going back to the Celtics game. Like this team sucks whenever Joel sits pretty much and there have been moments this year where it has been slightly better because of James but recently it's been a lot more bad than good if you take Joel off this team they're like maybe a play-in team but with James that's I, I think you know Harden again is like a top 20 player so we can't give Joel all the credit but he is still the engine that that drives the car here so Important is like the key term here, and I, I think your argument for Iverson is perfectly valid and reasonable. But like, again, I, I yeah, can so it's that, just better across the board. Like, as 
you know, even if the supporting cast is a little bit stronger, I, I still think there's a pretty solid case that you the better player is, is more important to his team's success. And like again, I, that's that's fair. Yeah. I so like that's the other conversation. We have the other word in here, so more dominant. So if for me, the more dominant player in their era is absolutely Embiid. And it's yeah. interesting because when AI was playing, the dominant player of the era honestly was big men. Like Shaq was legitimately unstoppable. And that was kind of like, I mean, 22 years ago, that's the, they had more big men that didn't stretch the floor in that game. And now the fact that it's kind of transitioning and Embiid has the power or the ability to be that big man that somewhat has gotten phased out of the game, but he can also stretch the floor. Like he has so much multi-talent and he, he truly is unstoppable. I mean, Derek White, they asked him in the post game, like how, uh, like what their plan was or how they stop Embiid, and he was like, honestly, I think every NBA team is trying to figure that out. So if you know, uh, just let so like if you know, could you tell us to the reporters? So I thought that was great, but maybe that's yeah. you agree on. Yeah, no, one hundred percent agree. Uh, like you said, the the NBA has changed quite a bit since Iverson was in the league. We've kind of entered a, a time where people talk about guards and wings as being like the driving force of contenders, but. Last three years, you look at the three best players in the league, and they're all bigs. So I, I think that's an interesting kind of like point of discussion. No, that is a good point. That is. Yeah, like Joel has really kind of broken the modern mold in a way, and and transcended his position and what we expect out of a center. He, he's adjusted a lot over his career. The way he plays now is not the way he approached the game as a rookie. He is really not posting up hardly at all anymore. He's playing on the elbow. He's playing like a wing. He's like basically playing like Kevin Durant. Like he's completely changed his game to help the Sixers spacing, to create more for others and to improve his own situation offensively. So he, he's a really special player. Again, just across the board, the numbers are better. I love AI. Everyone loves AI. He was an unbelievable talent. I don't think anyone can deny that, but Joel is maybe the best sixer we've had since at least Julius Irving, if not like Wilt, like, like Joel is entering that stratosphere as far as where the conversation needs to be. Well, uh, I think that's where he needs to bring home a title to kind of get so, in that, in that. Conference. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. hundred percent. As far as legacy, you're absolutely right. But I, I mean, like the numbers and the talent level are, are already there. So it, it's just about winning, you know, winning in the postseason now so we'll see what happens we we you know this is going to be a good will and i think that's i think that's such an interesting point though you did make about like it is such like a guard driven league or like a forward driven league like katie steph dame like players like that are thriving in this era but it's like the last five years the first and second place run like mvps have been like Giannis Jokic or Embiid. so yeah, it's uh, it is a power time for certain picks. Um, overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to two hundred dollars in fee free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at chimecom goals twenty four. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. All right, so we're gonna continue our award season that we've been doing all along. So tonight we got executive of the year and coach of the year. So which one do you want to go first on, and then I'll go first on the other. All right, I'll go first on on executive of the year. As far as honorable mentions go, I, you know, I, this is kind of a tough award to to 
you know, this is kind of a tough award for me because there's so many different decision makers that go into it. Like, how do you even quantify what makes the best executive? Like, what are you really valuing? There are so many different roles that an executive have, so many different roles within an organization under that executive that are contributing to these decisions. It's kind of a weird award. I, I think my main, like, honorable mention would be Calvin Booth um, from the Denver Nuggets, just because they, they've built a really solid team. He, he's fleshed out the the second unit. They're finally healthy. That's the one seed in the West. Like, like they deserve credit for getting to that point. And yeah, that that's my honorable mention. As far as okay. top three, do we want to start at three? Do we want to like, just give like, I'll give my three, you give your three. I give my two, you give your two, and then we'll give our ones at the end. Sure. Okay. Sure. So be- uh, for my honorable mention, I, I went with Tim Connolly for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I actually had the Nuggets guy, but I mean, I think the Timberwolves got critiqued heavily fairly early on for like that trade for Rudy Gobert. Five first round picks, absolutely crazy. But what they've done with like, Ant Edwards has grown into an absolute superstar. Cat and Rudy, as we're coming down the stretch, kind of look like they can play well together. Mike Conley's running the team well. I mean, it's tough that Nas Reed got hurt, but I, I just thought I'd toss him the honorable mention. All right, so you're yeah. number three? All right. My number three, I agree with everything you said. I, I, I think Conley deserves credit. I, that go-bear trade is tough because I, I think on balance – it still looks pretty bad as far as projecting long-term, but Rudy has been much better down the stretch here. The Wolves have been much better as a group. The Mike Conley trade was huge, like you mentioned. That, that's been a real boost for them. And I think he's a very smart uh, GM in general, so he does deserve credit. Um, so my top three, starting with number three, I had Monty McNair uh, for the Sacramento Kings, former Sixer guy. Obviously, they're a top three seed this year after spending 14 years out of the playoffs. Uh, the Sabonis trade came last season, but we've kind of seen it come to fruition this year. And they've added a lot of really important depth pieces, mainly to knock down elite mega shooters in Keegan Murray, who just broke the uh, rookie three-point record. Pretty big deal as a 6'9 forward. And Kevin Herter, who's just been scorching nets all year. So I have Monty McNair at number three. All right, number three, I had Brad Stevens. I think that he was dealt a very tough hand with the Ime Doka stuff over the summer and going with Joe Missoula, a relatively unknown coach, and, I mean, to the public. He knew him well. He said that internally he gets a lot of respect. Tatum backed him immediately. Um, but I just think Brad Stevens, especially since, like, he coached really well. He transitioned after Danny Ainge left, and I think he's been doing a great job. So I thought – he should come in at three. Yeah, that's fair. I I have Brad Stevens at number two for pretty much all the same reasons you just said. Boston is one of the most talented teams top to bottom in the NBA. They got Malcolm Brogdon as their freaking sixth man. Like They're just an insanely deep team. It has been a bit of a bumpy ride post-All-Star break, but as far as roster building goes and, and plugging holes at every position – very few teams have done that better than Boston. So Brad Stevens is my number two. All right. So my number two is probably a little stretch, maybe a little bit out there, but I went with Rob Palenka. So I think that yeah. the Lakers, like obviously not coming into the season, this is more around the trade deadline. The Lakers were like not good, 
They were just very underwhelming, disappointing, probably not going to make the playoffs or the play-in. He got rid of Russell Westbrook and legitimately got three starters back. And now, like, they got only had to get rid of one pick. They were going to probably be willing to give up two to get Kyrie. Honestly, not getting Kyrie might be the best move that they did. And then coming with Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, D'Lo, like, I thought that just the trade deadline, like, that trade was an absolute steal. It was, like, reminding me of, like, the old Danny Ainge. And, yeah, i uh big fan of specifically around that one one trade at the trade deadline, and I think he's made their team a legitimate contender. They have a chance to take over the Clippers for the sixth seed and avoid the play-in tonight with two games left. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I, Rob Palenka has very justifiably gotten a lot of crap over the years for his, I would say, extremely poor performance as Lakers GM, but that, that trade basically saved their season and maybe saved his, like, entire tenure as as Lakers GM. Obviously, I mean, they won a championship because they signed LeBron and Anthony Davis. Like, okay. LeBron wanted to come to LA. I don't really think that's a feat of management. But that that trade was huge. I'm not sure how he pulled it off. He might be the first person to swindle Danny Ainge. It's remarkable that Rob Palinka is maybe the first person to swindle Danny Ainge. Not sure how he got there. <laughs> but yeah, he, he deserves a ton of credit. And I, I think that's a, a very good number, too. So. As far as, again, why best executive is such a difficult award to quantify, what we learned, especially in Philly, if, if we want to compare like the Brian Colangelo, Brett Brown, Elton Brand catastrophes to Sam Hinkie before them, it, it's really important to have the longest view in the room, right? And, and the best GMs are like building over a multiple like multiple years it's like yep. a long-term ongoing job it's kind of hard to quantify one season for a gm so it'd be easy to be like james jones in the suns win executive of the year because they traded for kevin durant even though he hasn't <laughs> really played much this year yet for them and we don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs like like we could do that but i don't really think that would be fair so y'all are going to give me a lot of crap for this and Oh my! Say I'm biased, which I don't know. I like genuinely believe who I'm gonna say is number one here. I have Sam Presti. Yep. I'm like like OKC is competing for a playoff spot with a bunch of twenty year olds right now. They have every draft pick in the world. And as far as like GMs who have done everything right over the past several years and going into this season with their draft, they they. Chet got hurt. They're maybe their biggest draft get yet of this rebuild got hurt, and they're still completing for a playing spot. Every rookie that they picked other than Chet has panned out better than expected. Shea is a borderline top 10 player. Giddy has taken the next step. Dort has been off the charts defensively. The Isaiah Joe move, every peripheral move that guy's made is working out for OKC. They're building something. They're, they're like on a very high trajectory right now as a very young team with a lot of room to maneuver and get better very quickly in the near future here so i like 100 percent believe in what i'm saying i'm not like just trying to commit to the bit or anything like I, I think sam presti deserves a ton of credit for the patience and everything he's done in okc I, he's built an awesome young team and he has given them every avenue 
for future success in a very small market, a, team, a market that's not going to get a lot of free agents. They they're going to struggle to attract talent that way. So the only way to build is through the draft and through smart moves on the margins. And he has nailed every single pick, every single small move so far, pretty much. So I I, you know I can I can see it, and I would more give it to Sam Presti for like general manager of the last five years or executive sure, of the last five years fair, but again it's like it, it's a weird award and it's hard to like peg down one season for an executive but we yeah, were kind of so, seeing the fruit blossom here now do we want to wait like three years for okc to be a top three seed maybe sure i i get it but i don't know i same Presti's my pick so i don't try to get influenced by the betting markets but i really like to check the betting markets and there's a pretty good, like, pretty substantial favorite, it seems, in Kobe Altman. So that's who I went with, not just because he was leading in the betting markets, but because when I checked the list of those uh, executives up there, went through their past transactions. I mean, I think signing Ricky Rubio in the summer, they extended Darius Garland, and Garland and Sexton were a good backcourt, but I wasn't necessarily sure if there was a future there. Obviously, trading Markinen, who's become an all-star, that's really tough. But you brought back Donovan Mitchell. You resurrected a Cavs team that legitimately has not been good since LeBron left. And and they weren't good before that since LeBron left prior to that. Like, they literally only had LeBron that excelling their future um, or, like, being exciting for their team. And the fact that once he left, they were bad. Once he left again, they're bad. Donovan Mitchell has rejuvenated that franchise, and they – are going to be a serious contender in the playoffs. I mean, they were chasing the Sixers for the three seed. They're not going to get there, but I don't know. I, uh, I'm i really excited to see that matchup, Cavs-Knicks in the first round. I think that Kobe Altman has done well for what he has been left in Cleveland because obviously when LeBron was there, he at, is like acting GM. So the fact to be able to work around that, rebuild this team without tons of years to go. I mean, Evan Mobley... Uh, Jared Allen, like this is a squad now, so I'm gonna go with him for first. Yeah, I I think that's completely fair. Again, like Don, like as far as big trades that had a real impact on this regular season, I it's hard to pick a better one than the Donovan Mitchell trade. Um, like you said, Markinen's been awesome, but Mitchell's been on an entirely different level, and Cleveland has been one of the four or five best teams in the NBA all season, both record-wise and just in terms of, like, statistical production. So that's true. And even going back, if we want to stretch the last five years, like, he squeezed Jared Allen out of the Harden-Brooklyn trade somehow. Like, that was an amazing get for them, obviously. He became an all-star. Evan Mobley pick. He's fleshed out that supporting cast in an impressive manner. So, yeah, I I think that's a good pick. Yeah, so, all right, we're going to go to Coach of the Year now. I'm going to go first for honorable mention. And this is just so perfect for us. You might even have to tell me how to say his last name, but Mark Dagnall was my um, honorable mention coach of the year in OKC. Yeah, I like it. Well-deserved. All right. Honorable mention. Like, again, it's kind of like a cop-out, but like the Nuggets are the ones in the West. They've been pretty good all year except for this last 10-game stretch. Uh, Mike Malone deserves a ton of credit for building that team the way he has over the last few years, just in the locker room and on the court. So I, I would say my honorable mention is Mike Malone. That's fair. And that just reminded me, like, I, I of course, like, yeah, they're in the one seed. That's important. 
again, when I was looking at the betting markets, it was funny because I think like Doc Rivers is fifth and he would never be in my consideration. So just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I think Doc like has done a pretty good job for the most part this year, but I, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. All right. So third place, I have Taylor Jenkins. The Grizzlies are in the two seed. I mean, they've been pretty solid cemented in the two seed for a while. I think the Kings passed them at one point, but they are in a loaded Western conference that, yeah, maybe they're underperforming or maybe it's just like competitive playing uh, all like all beating each other up, but to be able to kind of handle what's going on, obviously with what's happened with John Morant, but not just that, like, I think there's no one on that team over 30. So they're all 29 and under, like it's a bunch of kids with a ton of money mm-hmm. who want to party and have fun. He's getting them like relatively like keeping the ship safe. And I think the fact that he's navigated some of these tough decisions and tough situations this year, kept him in the two spot. I put him as my third. Yeah, that that's a good pick. Obviously. I, I mean, we've talked about in this podcast about how we don't really trust the Grizzlies and how they feel kind of like pretenders, but like they've won 50 games despite, like you said, some pretty difficult circumstances around the team. They've done that two years in a row now. Like, like they're, if nothing else, an elite regular season team and one of the most well-coached and consistent groups in the league. So, yeah, Taylor Jenkins deserves a ton of credit. I, this is a tad bit more obscure, but as far as guys who have, like, kept the ship afloat through some turbulent circumstances, I, my number three is Jacques Vaughn from Brooklyn. Like, the Nets have not really fallen off since the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving trades. Um, like, Mikhail Bridges looks like a, a superstar. He's averaging 28 a game on absurd efficiency, and he's still an elite defender. The The fact that they've been able to keep things going despite pretty much exchanging four or five pieces out of the starting lineup midseason and losing their two best players and their third best player, in theory, Ben Simmons, to injury and whatever else is going on there, like... I think Jacques Vaughn deserves a ton of credit for keeping that group together and focused through the various stages of this season for the Nets. Uh, so, yeah, he's my number three. Yeah, no, that's a good pick. And kind of in the same wavelength there, I went with uh, Joe Mazzola for second place. They, I mean, he wasn't ex- expecting to be a head coach. The Ime Doka coming off a final spurt in his first year, the Celtics are like probably feeling pretty confident and looking at their future and um, very quickly blows up and he's kept that team right where they should be. I mean, they're in the second seed and they've been extremely good. I mean, they had a dip. They were like heavily the first seed for the majority of the season. And then they dipped down. But I mean, all in all from another first year head coach, like back to back last year, they made it to the finals this year. They're the two seed in the regular season. I mean, I think I've heard people question what it's going to be like when they come playoff time. Will he be the same? Like, will he be able to get it done? But again, regular season award, I've been impressed with Seven in Boston. So he's my second. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> my my number two is uh, Mark Dagenault. Uh For all the reasons that you mentioned as, as far as making him an honorable mention. I, okay. Like let's, I, I realize they're below 500 and maybe aren't true contenders yet, but OKC is quite literally just playing a bunch of first, second, and third year players. Like their entire rotation is young. It's not like their best two players are young. They have a, a solid group of veterans to support them. Like that's a bunch of 22 year olds out there on the court 
a lot of them who haven't played together all that much before. And they're one of the more connected and impressive groups in the league at certain points. Like, they've really come together. He, he deserves a ton of credit for, for keeping the locker room together through these last couple of losing seasons. I, I think he's, like, genuinely one of the most talented coaches just in terms of X and O's. And OKC has been a really impressive team. You know, again, just young teams don't really do that well. Um, so... He's my number two. I, You know, you guys can say whatever you want. Maybe I'm riding the bandwagon too much by myself. But, uh, yeah, I think he deserves a ton of credit for what OKC has built. No, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I really do. I like to go against you with OKC, but I, I agree there. So, first place, I think this is a no-brainer. I'm not sure. Maybe we will disagree. But Mike Brown in Sacramento, they are breaking the longest playoff drought in American sports. I mean, it previously was the Seattle Mariners. They made the playoffs last season for baseball. So it fell to the Kings and they're going to break that streak. They just clinched the other night and uh, they look real. I mean, I know a lot of teams are, they're saying trying to position to the sixth seed because they don't, they're not sure the Kings are, are actually real and, and they'd love to beat them in the playoffs being an inexperienced postseason team. But I mean, what Mike Brown has done to get that team again in a loaded Western Conference in third. All the superstars are out West, really. I mean, besides Giannis and Embiid and Tatum. So I'm, I've been thoroughly impressed. I think he's been a great coach at all his stops in the league, but this year might be his best yet. So he's uh, coach of the year for me. Yeah, I, I remember before the season when we were doing like our, our prediction pod and we were talking about who's going to win each division blah, blah, blah. I, we were talking about the Pacific Division. And it was like, you know, the Kings could be okay this year. Like, they've, they've got some talent. We'll see what Mike Brown does. But, you know, it's Phoenix. It's the LA teams. LeBron, Kawhi, Booker, CP, Golden State, the reigning champs. It's like, there's no way they're going to win the division or anything. They were last, dead last in odds at like plus 4,000 or something. So whoever bet on Sacramento to win this Pacific Division... <laughs> they must be very happy campers right now because they're going to win the freaking Pacific Division, the most talent-laden position or conference, pardon me, in, in all of basketball. Like, that's insanely impressive yep. for, for a team, like you said, that has missed the playoffs 14 years in a row. Like, the Kings have been notoriously inept forever now. The The ability to bring that locker room together after what they've been through these past several years – getting guys to buy in to certain roles, making them maybe the most potent offense in the NBA. Mike Brown deserves a ton of credit. I, I think there's like a pretty legitimate argument for the other two guys that I mentioned, even even a couple of the other guys that you mentioned. But, you know, as much as I don't want to just like vote off a narrative and stuff, like Mike Brown has absolutely deserved this. Like it's not just a narrative vote. Like the Kings have been a very impressively coached team. He has brought a group together that, has not always had the greatest vibes as far as the locker room goes. And yeah, he's like kind of brought that team out of purgatory. So he's he's the obvious pick for a reason. He's going to win for a reason. And yeah, as much as I would love to sit here and say, OKC should win coach and executive of the year, you got to give it to Mike Brown. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well, um, to everyone out there, I guess it's it's time to transition to our, our closing segment here, our, our outro. 
thanks everyone for tuning into the Sixers Sins podcast with myself, Christopher Klein, Jonathan Geib, and Lucas Johnson. As always, uh, please like, subscribe, and follow along if you can. We are on Twitter and Facebook at Sixers Saints. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Audible. Or you can listen at our website, thesixersense.com, where this will be posted in article form. And you can also read our written work there. We've had some great pieces come out in the last week. Jonathan has some exciting stuff coming here in the near future. So I would encourage everyone to keep their eyes peeled for that. And until next time, go Sixers. And we will talk to you all soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.